What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Major Keys Podcast with your host, Zach Wilson, talking to keyboard players about music and life and everything in between today. As always, we have a special guest, Mr. Julian Pollock, a.k.a. J3PO. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely no problem, man. What's going on with you? Man, chilling in LA, back from a little bit of touring, heading back out tomorrow, and uh, surrounded by a bunch of beautiful keyboards. Hey, that's 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 the way to do it. That's the way to do it, I guess. <laughs> I haven't I haven't hung out in LA yet. There are a couple of people on the podcast who I've interviewed, and they're my homies, and they live in LA, and they're like, "Man, you got to come out to LA, man." The weather. I was like, once once I get a chance to, I will. I went out there like very briefly mm-hmm. for like one show, but like I didn't see anything it was literally like airbnb sound check show and then i flew home so hey man that's how you gotta do it sometimes though yeah i got you so yeah man let's start from the top how did you get started um how did you get started playing keys uh piano or keyboards uh well well, however you want to however you want to do it from the very from the very top like when you first put your finger on middle c like from the yeah. top, like was, the interest, uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, when I was a kid, five years old, man. Uh, my mom's a pianist. Mm, so okay. Little C came at five years old uh, from from my mom, and uh, she taught me all through my youth, um, up until like high school, basically, and still beyond, still to this day. You know? Oh, nice. We're always learning from our our elders, our parents. Um, and um, my mom's a classical pianist, so obviously it was classical repertoire. I started studying jazz around 10, uh, you know, influenced by the kind of, you know, usual suspects like mm-hmm. Oscar Peterson, Herbie Hancock, Bill Evans, all those, you know, the classics. Um, and uh, started playing, I, didn't, I, I always had an interest in keyboards and electronic music production. Uh, but that didn't really kind of manifest itself till I was in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I was playing acoustic piano, you know, up until that point, you know, dabbling on a motif, playing the Rhodes Patch or on a Nord, you know, uh, Nord uh, Electro Two, you know. Mm, man, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the background. Got you. So. So you came from a musical musical family. Your mom was classical uh, classical pianist. Like that was her full time job, was yeah, being a yeah. musician. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, both my parents. My dad also. I mean, to this day, he's a saxophonist and a symphony conductor. Okay. Um, they're both uh, you know based in northern you know the 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 bulk of that was based in northern California. Um, my parents also did teach music lessons also to make ends meet as I was growing up, you know, four days a week. So that was a big part of, of growing up. You know, a lot of my friends studied piano with my mom. You know, it was okay, a very tight, tight-knit community there in Berkeley, California. Um, but yeah, my parents, both full-time musicians, making what money there is to be made in music from, yeah, yeah. you know. So, so uh, when you... So your mom just started teaching you or did you like say you watched them and it was like, oh, I want to do it. Or was it like a like a mandatory thing? Like, yeah, yeah, we all play music. You're going to play music. 
Definitely not mandatory. Um, when I was in kindergarten, or you know, in my cubby, the kind of learning piano books at the time. I forget what method my mom was using at that time. I can see it in my. I can see the. I can see the image of it. I just forget it. I don't think it was Faber. They weren't doing it at that point in the early nineties. Maybe they were, but um, some piano study books for children landed in my cubby at school, and I was like, oh. This is for me because I'm going to start learning piano. Oh, hell yeah. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. And I got home and it turned out those books were actually for one of my mom's other students. Oh, okay. Got you. So I was like, hey, like, what about me? And mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, really? You want to take piano lessons? I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's go. And so we did one lesson. I was excited. And then I was like, oh, hell no. And then my mom said, oh, hell yeah. So, so why were you like oh no like like why uh, like, it was hard you know it was okay like, yeah that was my next question yeah it's challenge you know I mean for any I think for most five years old five year olds it's like you know you hear about the ones who are you know crazy prodigious prodigious at the beginning who just yeah. take to I was not that it yeah. took a long time same, for me to, same same here same here yeah you know and um, uh. Yeah, I was just thinking about that Corey Henry video, and he was like three, just oh, of course, everyone. And everyone I was, knows I was that. like, yeah, that was that's rare, you know. Yeah, I know. Uh, but so yeah, my my uh, had a much more humble kind of ent entrance into music. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that that's funny. So so um, I remember because that's kind of a similar story. Like I was kind of thrown into piano lessons because I like to like sing and dance around the house. I was um, I wanted to play guitar first, but um, my dad like wanted to put me in piano lessons first. To this day, I actually don't know why that was the choice, but um, <laughs> I've said it in this podcast multiple times. My piano teacher almost cut me from lessons because I wasn't getting it at first wow. when I was five. Yeah, so he was like, uh, he almost told my mom, he was like, ah, you're. You're wasting your money. Let's, you know. So, but anyways, he 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 stuck with it for some reason, and I'm a musician. So, but uh, no. So you um, so classically trained. So when do you think you started to to um to get it? So you were yeah. So when did you think you started to kind of get it and grasp on and maybe enjoy it for yourself? I think middle school. You know sixth grade uh i think i remember uh yeah there was a piece by beethoven pathetique's not a very famous one um and it was the first time i was like oh i actually really want to be able to play this yeah and uh so i that was the first time i really applied myself without like my mom saying you need to do this mm. um and then i started taking jazz lessons and that was a little bit easy not easier to do but just easier for me to uh have an ambition with just because okay. of the nature of improvisation and like the funness of hearing something like herbie hancock playing chameleon like on the on your back wall oh there. yeah man yeah yeah <laughs> you know um nice glasper's record is right next to it that is definitely uh th yeah those two records right there decades apart but uh both they definitely have similar influence on the music community at large. Oh, definitely pivotal. Yeah. Definitely pivotal. Yeah. yeah. Very pivotal. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, um, 
And then by high school, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> I went to Berkeley High, which was is known for its legendary jazz program. Uh, you know, everybody from Joshua Redman, Benny Green. Oh wow! Okay. Ankin Muzure, Justin Brown, Thomas Pridgen, Jonathan Mason, Peter Applebaum, uh, Mike Auberg. I can't name everybody. Charles Art Altura. Um, you know. So many guys, gals came out of uh, Berkeley High, and when I got there in 2002 or whatever it was, I already was like, I want to do this. I want to do this jazz thing. I want to. I want to get good. I want to be the best. You know, all that kind of that young okay. fire. You know. So then practicing at that point was like I was. I remember in sophomore year, I, st I was taking some this history class that was just the teacher was just so whack. And, oh man why were they whack why they're just like showing movies and like just stupid you know just wasting time so i would like sneak out and go to the, the a building to practice oh wow so they were just phoning it in yeah the yeah, teacher so, oh wow okay yeah so i'd either ask if i go or i just i'll just split and and go and you know shed or if i you know on the crappy upright piano in the a building and um yeah so i and then high school by the time i end up you know by Halfway through high school, it was obvious. Like, I was, you know, like, I want to do this, you know, super, super hard. Just like, you know, so many out there uh, mm -hmm. in our community. It's because I think, you know, like with music, yeah, it's like you got to do it or, you, you're, you know, you, you're going to die or you're going to do it. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're in or out. Yeah, you're taking my questions from me. I was like, I was like, wow. what was the, I was like, what was the. I was gonna be like, what was the 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 switch? It's like, okay, yeah, I'm good at it, but now I want to do it like for real. So, I think. But, that, um, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was gonna say the thing that I think makes us want to do it or die is that feeling mm -hmm. that we can get when we, you know, get high from hearing something or playing something or that religious experience that we can tap into. Um, you know, when we hear. Or playing music, whether it's a lady joy or sorrow, mm -hmm. and um, and everything in between. So I, I, you know, I think for those of us who start ex this, the, the the earlier we're able to kind of grasp onto that, the more longevity we have. I think the danger, though, also is the kind of fireworks thing that can happen. You know, like a lot of kids, including myself. You know, like I remember. You know, in early high school, uh, I don't know if you know this pianist, Taylor Eichsty. Okay, I don't know who that is. No. Oh, man, check him out. Taylor Eichsty, E-I-G-S-T-I. -I. This dude uh, was just a few years older. I mean, he didn't still a few older than me. But at the time, I remember, I mean, he was just blazing at the time. Mm -hmm. Blazing. Still is. Still one of my favorite piano players. Also a friend. Um but yeah, like being like at the Stanford Jazz Workshop and, and seeing a kid who's just a couple years older than you just literally obliterating the piano, it it seems that you're like, oh, I, I want to do that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like sports or something like that. It's like, how, do, how does that person do that? So, but then the danger of that is, you know, you, you, get, you get lost in the fireworks instead mm -hmm. of like the soul of music. Yeah. You know? I think every young player at some point who has chops to burn has to deal with that has to deal with becoming an adult musician mm. where 
at a certain point, everybody's got chops. Sure, some people have more blazing chops than others, but at the end of the day, it's all about communication. It's all like, sure, Corey Henry can play most people under the table. Mm -hmm. That's not every reason. That's not the main reason why people want to go check out the show or check mm -hmm. the music. It's because it resonates. It's, it, it, it feeds the soul. And it's, imp it's impressive, too, which is fun. Absolutely, it keeps, yeah. It keeps you locked in. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I think that's the ultimate is when, you know, somebody like Corey Henry, I'm just talking about keyboard players, mm -hmm. Brad Baldow, yeah. Taylor also, um, uniting uh, the ability to have, you know, tremendous facility on the instrument and to be breaking boundaries within the instrument, but uniting that with, you know, an artistic output that... Uh, portrays the human condition mm. and, and those those musicians are the ones that do it and then the ones who 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 either fall left or right meaning either the ones who are only trying to be expressive i'm talking about probably a lot of people in the pop music industry mm -hmm. or people on the far right who just are interested in either chops or very intellectual processes it's like those people end up falling off eventually mm. because when you have one or the other that's it's not good enough yeah. to have both gotta have that balance exactly got you so what was the gigs uh was there a gig scene for you like in high school at all a little yeah we had some local spots to play and uh, there's an amazing place in berkeley california called the cheese board which is a collective and um they sell incredible cheeses that are made you know it's like it's it's kind of a european vibe uh cheeses made in california cheeses made everywhere they also make an incredible bakery uh, breads, uh, mm. everything, but they're, they're a collective and their whole thing was about community. So they had live music there almost every day mm. and they'd hire local people, local trios to come in and play. Um, and because it was the Bay area and there was such a vibrant jazz scene at the time, I, I think there still is a vibrant jazz scene in the Bay area. I, I have a feeling though, and I've been hearing this throughout the community that because the Bay area has gotten so expensive, like mm. you just not seeing that many people moving there anymore. Got you. So, uh, but back in the day, I think I was where I was there. It was kind of the tail end of like the kind of affordable Bay Area vibe. And so, yeah, there was a lot of cool local gigs. Um, my high school was obviously we did all the jazz competitions, and there would be little things that pop up. So yeah, like having a having gigs in high school was a thing, and it was so so great to be able to uh, get start getting that professional experience, whether it's playing at a pizza place or not you know i mean right. still you're performing you're 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 providing a service you know you're giving a concert anyhow so no no no. i got you so um so yeah so that's high school and then you went to college where did you go to college your major was music performance yeah i had a full ride to berkeley college of music but i ended in, up going in boston in Bo boston but i ended yeah. up going to nyu for various reasons that are mm -hmm. uh Maybe I won't share. You don't. You don't uh, have to. You don't, have to. you don't have to. You don't have to. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, there's positive and negatives to those 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 decisions. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, being in New York was yeah. That's where I cut my teeth. I'd say finally when I got out of college, you know, that was when the real work began. Mm -hmm. Got you. So let's. So, but I want to talk about your uh, your college experience because you were. Um, like, I guess, music performance, was that when you were um, 
commissioned to write like these these pieces in that sort of situation like that was that or was that after college uh, orchestral compositions you're talking about yeah the orchestral compositions yeah like i want to i want to know what that i want to know what that sort of um approaches and like how did you how did you go about that well for one thing explain like what it was and then like the and then like the process yeah so i I did go to school for performance and composition okay while i was nyu i did study my main teacher there his name is ezekiel vigna he's a a, an argentinian composer incredible Um, i studied with him for a few years while i was there um you know doing classical music and not classical as in mozart but you know contemporary music you know, that's uh, very challenging. Um, mm. And I didn't really take to what those that community is doing with music right now. I, I, I value the information that he imparted with me and the kind of way he thought about music and a way a lot of contemporary composers think about music. Um, and uh, I then studied a bit with Gil Goldstein, who's a great uh, pianist, accordionist, arranger, composer, who's worked with everybody in, in, the, in, in, in jazz. Um, and that was actually liberating because finally I was able to get some things done. Mm, okay. Because <laughs> with, studying with, with, with uh, Mr. Vignal, it was like I could barely write two notes before it was like, hey, no, no, it needs to be like this to, you know, it was mm-hmm. very... Uh, you know, I, and looking back, I can have a more mature attitude about it in the sense of like, yeah, he's right. But at the same time, like if I were to ever teach, you know, production or composition to people, which I, I'm, I'm not teaching too much privately these days, but my whole ethos is like, let's talk about how it could be better. Let's make an edit, but let's move on because there's no better way to learn than to keep writing. Okay. You know, just if you work on one thing and try to make it the best thing ever, for six months, you know, it's, you know, you, you, you got to get from start to end. You got to, you got to complete that process. I just saw a little bad snack. She just posted something. She's like, she it was like a, I think she was imitating a, a, a clickbait thing. It was like, you know, number one tip for producers. And then it's just cut to her saying, just finish, finish the session. Your song. Yeah. 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 Your songs. And that, that to me, that is everything because we all, we get on here on Ableton or Logic, and we're like, oh, let me just start this new thing, and maybe this will be it. But it's the discipline of going back and finishing your ideas. Not every single idea, but a large majority of them. Because you have to hash out real problems then. Right. You're not just coming up with an idea. Because everybody's got good ideas. Mm-hmm. There's not anybody in this business who doesn't have good ideas. But being able to finish the idea. Mm-hmm. Hard work. That's why, like, in, like when people outside the music business are like, "Oh, that person's so talented. Oh, that person, that person has such an incredible voice." That per-, you know, like all this, these kind of like, you know, very flowery kind of adjectives. Is like, nah, the successful people are the people who finish things, who get the work done. Hmm. So, very true. Anyhow, back to uh, yeah. In college, I studied. Uh, uh, I, I thought I maybe wanted to be, you know, like a, a composer. You know, I yeah. just watched something a lot to uh, John Adams. You know, who's probably the, America's most celebrated contemporary classical composer. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually know him personally, and had a funny lesson with him where he was basically like, "I don't know if this is really for you." Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which you know, at the time I was devastated, but. 
he kind of imparted to me a vibe that I actually now see where I am now in a way is because of that. Okay. So it's like, as you were talking about, like with your, your piano teacher, when you were five, telling your mom or your dad, like, I don't know, this person, he's really cut out for it. Obviously that's, that was not good. We didn't want that. But I think a little bit of that, you know, that reality, the truth, like yeah, later in life, not for a five-year-old, but for right. somebody, you know, like, in education, there's not enough of just the truth because everybody's afraid that, like, okay, they're not going to want to study with me anymore. Or the school's afraid, like, oh, we're not going to have any students because we're too hard on them. But it's mm -hmm. like, actually, when you're hard on somebody and giving them that that real, uh, that realness, mm -hmm. that's what allows for people to grow. Not just like, oh, you sound so great. Oh no, definitely, because that was that was my first piano teacher. I've had four. And yeah. by the time that this comes out, all of those episodes will have been out because I interviewed them all this season. But no, every every one of them has t like I had a like my first first piano teacher and then like his who ended up being his son in law, like he would help me break down like all the classical stuff. Nice. And then and then I um, the music minister at my church at one point in time, like I took lessons to him to learn gospel and then my jazz professor at at a uh, school. So, but no, there have been points and times that they've all told me like, hey, you need to get it together. And then also there have been times where it's like, eh, it's not it. Like, you know, you, <laughs> like, like, you know, but like, you know, of course, like, you know, you go home and it's kind of frustrating or like whatever, especially because, especially if you think you're doing well. Right. But like, no, it's, it's, it's important to, yeah. to have, like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get that far getting a cosign on every single thing that you do. Right. But it's just not like, it's, yeah. it's just not like that in, right. in life. So. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think that the, the balance with that, especially if, if, if any teachers, it's like if, if teachers can somehow impart that, but also encourage to keep searching, that's the goal. That's oh the yeah, goal. of course. Like, you know, after, after you get beat up, you know, you, they're like, Hey, it's only I'm only telling you this because I want you to get better. So yeah. it's not just Here, like here's a way. Here's a way to get better. Mm -hmm. Right. That too. Practice, that too. Practice playing with with the metronome on two and four. Practice on just four. Practice it on the dotted coordinate. Let's check. You know, all these specifics. Yes. Yeah. Are everything in education? Oh yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So, college, you're you're doing. So you've commissioned these pieces. You do them. You're like, ah, eh, not necessarily what I want to do for real. Yeah, I got out of college. I wrote um, I wrote a piano concerto. I mean, this was also my dad, who's a conductor. Mm -hmm. um, I had an outlet. Yeah, and that's and all. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's like, yeah, because like his orchestra, those those people all knew me as a jazz piano player. So it was like, you know, I had been performing there as a jazz piano. So you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, to perform with the orchestra was just like, it was like a cool thing. You know, it was yeah, like, people will come out and check it out and. I mean, I was like 22 at the time. So, I mean, at the time I thought I was an adult, but now I'm like, damn, I was young. You yeah. Know? And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, that, the piano concerto I wrote, as far as just a piece on its own, I, 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 I listened to it actually a few years ago when I found out when I was cleaning out one of my hard drives during COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That was all right. You know, there mm -hmm. was some good things about it. And we, we played it. The orchestra played it. I got to do it with my dad. It was a beautiful experience, and I'm 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 so glad I did it. Is it is it one of the greatest pieces ever written? Probably not. <laughs> I, 
I don't care. Right. You know, it, it, was, it was a tremendous experience. I wrote another piece for orchestra the following year called Nightflower. It wasn't a concerto. Um, and that was definitely more trying to assimilate into the composition, like the kind of the aesthetic, more of the aesthetic that has been more popular in recent years. And uh, that was cool. But I think eventually I was just, I always had the itch for pop production mm -hmm. to kind of dip my toes a little bit into, you know, the sound of gospel music. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when I was 25, I finally just like gave myself permission just to like mm -hmm. float into whatever I wanted. Yeah. And, I always look back at that as a pivotal moment. I think a lot of people have pivotal moments in their mid twenties. Mm -hmm. It's like you need to, as much of as a trope it sounds, but to follow your heart. I mean, it's just because you you can't event you'll run out of steam mm -hmm. if you don't if you don't just do that. That doesn't mean you're not going to work hard, but you you know you have to use that as as your compass. Yeah. No, that's cool. So I guess since we're here now, so let's. Uh dive into well you didn't did you tour after college or was that later i toured a little bit you know i mean i would tour with you know small jazz groups you know that were more avant-garde i tour with my own trio you know i put out a couple record uh, records under under julian Pollock before i had the j3po moniker mm -hmm. and that was cool but you know very kind of uh, moderate low-grade success and we, we had some tours and i played with some i played with a lot of singers uh, okay right college uh particularly one incredible vocalist her name is grace weber okay uh, um and we toured a lot a lot of the kind of like you know grassroots stuff mm -hmm. um and that was that was cool i was hanging in new york at this spot called rockwood music hall just because i felt more of a kinship there with the community in terms of just the creativity and license to kind of just do whatever you want whereas i felt like there were at the time i don't feel this way anymore but at the time i just wasn't ready for the kind of the the um the rigor of what the jazz cats were were wanted to 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 participate in you know mm -hmm. i wanted i wanted to feel music that was being felt by others yeah. you know whether it was something like you know one of those like kind of poppy folk rock bands back in the early 2010s mm -hmm. just that feeling being young living in new york just like i needed that yeah and going to the club and just like playing monk tunes or like you know it, it just it at the time I'm, i've completely gone the other way now but um at the time mm -hmm. i was just so uh, enamored by yeah just that young feeling yeah got you so let's transition like from when you went to julian pollock to j3po <laughs> so or like so so what was that like because you you said like you gave yourself permission to dive into like whatever you wanted to so what was that what was that like and then yeah. like like how do we get the j3po i guess that we kind of know now like you know very tech heavy very synthy all that yeah. sort of that sort of vibe yeah that was a, that was a fun transition um and i had <laughs> i just made uh a my final or second second and final uh, jazz trio acoustic piano record called Waves of Albion and on the record we actually the first tune was a cover of a tune by Boney Vare and the whole thing was very influenced by that mood that, that mm -hmm. kind of melancholy 
uh, mood. And, you know, all this was coming from yeah, that, 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 that Rockwood that scene, the, 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 the mm -hmm. early 2010s, the indie folk rock stuff. Um, and it kind of led me, I, at the time I was just feeling really lost because I had been trying so hard to kind of make a mark within the jazz world as a pianist, you know, this mm -hmm. very high notion as other people who are, you know, I'd like a look up to somebody like Aaron Parks or something like that and be like, Oh my God, like I need, I need to, I need to, I need to be like him. Mm -hmm. And, but then I finally figured out, I was like, Oh man, you need to, you need to go inward. You mm -hmm. need to go inward. And so I started floating around in there. And of course, like I just, started resonating with stuff that actually was from my childhood, like Black Street. Mm. I listened to Another Level when I was a kid on repeat. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to Luther Vandross. I remember listening to even like Will Smith, you know, just like, you know, Stevie Wonder, uh, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, all that music. And I, um, I, uh, also remember listening, most importantly, to Zapp and Roger. Mmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, my introduction to Zapp and Roger, of course, was in elementary school hearing the Tupac song, uh, uh, California Love. Yeah. And, I was, and of course, everybody had like, it was like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, yeah. Who's that? What is that singing robotic voice? Mm -hmm. There was also a vocoder. And, and of course, over the years, like, oh, now it's actually a talk box. It's very different. And it's yeah. way harder to play. Um, but yeah, so somehow I ended up like just deep diving into Zap and Roger mm -hmm. to a point where I was like, I, 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 I got to get a talk box, man. Like I have yeah. to have one. I just love this sound so much. So I got one. I got one on eBay. I got a golden throat from the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up buying DX100 off eBay. Oh man, I was so excited. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh I remember getting that thing and like I started trying to play it and I was like, I am trash. <laughs> like <laughs> Dog, I I remember it because I I I still have a talk box. I think I needed I think I need to take it back out. Because yes. I bought it or no 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 no. I got it as a gift and I had the desire for it. So I had seen Stevie Wonder do it on his live in O oh. two, the live at the O two thing. I seen him do it. Um Sean Martin. I saw him do it. Of course. And then 24 Care Magic came out too. So, Talkbox. So, yeah, Mr. Talkbox. So, I was like, I was Byron like, Chambers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Talkbox, Byron Chambers. Um, So, like, right. I I wanted to do it. And I was like, I kind of got it, but I don't sound like Sean or Mr. Talkbox. And so it's been up. It's, 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 it's been, but I, but it, it, I still have it, but nice. I just got to, you know, it's a, it's a, art to it but no it's, it's definitely not like you can do it but it definitely takes it, it's not just singing and playing at the same time oh, which is actually yeah. very hard which is actually hard to do if you don't do it a lot oh man but man i locked myself in the shed for six months oh wow yeah i shed the hell out of that mm -hmm. um, and then once i was like okay I, I i can actually do this now i can actually play the talk box and the my my words you know Sounds sound, weird, yeah. Uh, and everything. Uh, and I was like, what am I going to do with this? And I was like, you know what? I'm about to start doing these covers. And so I started doing 90s pop tunes reharmonized 
Mm-hmm. And then I was like, dang, I got an EP. I can't put this out under my name. All these people who've been listening to me, like, you know, like everything I've built up until this point has been acoustic piano, like very like semi-classical. So somehow like the, uh, the drummer in my tree, I remember he called me one time and he just started off, he left a voicemail. I was like, yo, J3PO. And I was like, at the time I was like, what do you, what is that? Why would you call? You know, obviously Star Wars C3PO. But then somehow that just, that rung in my ear and like, I was like, I'm playing talk box, speaking a different language. It's kind of robotic. Mm-hmm. And turns out J3PO is my initials. J yeah, yeah. And w for waterfall. That's my legal middle name. And then PO for Pollock. So I was like, you know what? Uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she made, nice. she made the logo. That's the logo that we know today. Yeah. Oh, that wow. One. That's yeah. cool. She designed that. She just drew it actually on a piece of paper when we were, I think we were like out at some cafe or something like that. Or, you know, wow. Whatever. And that's and, how the, man. And then I was like, all right, I'm just going to put this out because I, I want to have an outlet for this. And I was kind of like, this is kind of a joke. I'm probably not going to do it forever. <laughs> and and uh, so I did that, put out that. Then I tried writing my own original tunes. That was a flop. That was trash. And then. On Instagram, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm making all these beats. Let me just let me just start putting out just some videos where I just like film myself just you know playing along to a beat. Turns out those are the videos that people actually started checking out, and mm-hmm. I'm like, this is weird, because I had started the page for this Talkbox project, and uh, but nobody was really digging on the Talkbox stuff except for the Talkbox heads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I think for a lot of people, the sound of the talk box, it, it's either you love it or you hate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but, yeah, I just started uh, putting out more and more beats, more and more weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a thing that happened together where it's like, you know, if, if people are saying, I like that, and you like it too, you're like, well, I should do more of this because we're all, you know, we're all vibing to this. Yeah. And eventually I realized, you know, this keyboard thing and sound design thing actually is probably more of my bag than anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, making weird sounds, weird beats, new sounds, sound designing on synth, sound designing in the box. And uh, so I just kept rocking with it. And mm-hmm. uh, it just was a feedback loop that has continued to this day now. Yeah. I remember. I heard something. I don't um I, I don't remember the exact moment I found out about you. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I do remember it's probably be- it was before the pandemic. It might have been Nick Simrad might have helped out with that, probably. He probably yes. helped out. He probably helped out because like, you know, I know Nick from the Funk Apostles, all that sort of stuff. Um, but no, the Adele, the hello cover is hey. like that's yeah, yeah yeah i was like i was like it was it and it wasn't even the the talk box it was like how you decided to it was like the the vamp like how you did that part like the, the reharms on that and i was like oh that's right. the stuff and yeah. it's funny you say that it wasn't in the talk box because what i realized was that was just a vehicle mm-hmm. for that stuff underneath oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and when i play live you know, I tried, you know, to do some shows live. And I was always like, I want to be playing the keyboards. I don't want to be doing the talk box part. Mm. 
you know, so that that's eventually why I dropped it because I was just like, I love Talkbox, but it, it for me it can't be the main thing, you know. Because for yeah, me, the, the fun part of the whole project was like exploring something like Hello and how you know having these shifting harmonies and, and different timbres and arrangements. That 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 to me was the fascinating part. Mm -hmm. Is there an approach that you have when it comes to doing um, reharms? Yeah, it's hard to explain, though. It's more of a feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, it's coming from years of playing jazz mm -hmm. and jazz harmony. Yeah. Um, and studying stuff like Bach, having good, you know, counterpoint and voice leading and all that. Mm -hmm. But then the real thing is, you know, like, I've never played gospel music. I've never played it in church. But that sound to me has always been, I don't know, like the truth, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always have like, that's the sound I'm going for, but coming from maybe the world that I've inhabited in terms of study. Um, and um, yeah, when I'm, when I'm reharming something, I want, the main thing I'm after though is um, balancing how far we're going to go out and then how to bring and when when to come back into yeah. something familiar because in jazz school like when you do reharm it's like the most ridiculous thing ever because it's never based on what sounds good it's always just like oh well did you use the subdomain of the brother and did you yeah, use yeah, the yeah. we can use this chromatic voice instead of being like let's use these tools but let's always come back and also more importantly let's let's find what sounds good mm -hmm. you know um and um, I think one thing about, I'd be curious your thoughts on this, you know, somebody who's schooled in gospel music versus jazz, mm -hmm. to me, the, the, there, there's, there's, a, there's some, there, the, the fundamental difference is that from my viewpoint in the church, it seems like a lot of stuff is being taught more, if not all by ear, versus something like jazz, which is primarily nowadays being taught with the eyes yeah when it's being taught by ear it's just better because everything makes a lot more sense harmonically and and if we're going to compare it to food everything also just tastes better <laughs> my opinion so because i've learned i've learned both ways right that's because i've I'm learned classical like reading it and then like when i was learning um gospel music you know he didn't have sheet music for me of course he had learned the song before he taught me but yeah. then like i was learning from him but then like when i got a little bit older like i took those lessons for like two years i was like from like 10 to like 12 and a half ish and yeah. so like when we got further in the lessons he would like help me like train my ear yeah. um i think they're well i mean like as far as skill set they're both necessary to have i think if you learn on paper then it just gives it just gives context to what you hear. Like, you know, like, you know, like, you know what a two, five, one is when you play it, but like learning theory, you can yeah. learn, Oh, that's just a two, five, one. Right. So I don't know if there's one necessarily better. I think you get more nuance if you hear it, but like, you know, of course in a pinch, I real pro is, right. is a lifesaver. Right. So is it quote unquote better? Um, I will say if if you had to if I had to choose 
between only knowing how to do one or the other, I would say here. Oh, hell yeah. If I, if you had to choose, but, um, I think that, I think they're both important, but, um, but no, like, like even when I was in, um, when I was in college, like there was some stuff. Well, when, when it was time to do like a transcription or whatever, best way to, to really learn is like by hearing, because you, you get all the nuance you get, you get exactly how they play the lick. Cause you can read it and it can help, but it ain't really what it needs to be. But you know, when you didn't do your lesson on time and try to fake it and sight read it. And it's, but like my teacher will be like, you, you, you haven't really listened to this. You haven't really practiced. So I think both skills, I think both of them are good, but yeah. I think the hearing thing, especially if you're trying to get the feeling or get the vibe, the hearing is the by ear is where you're going to get the most out of it. Yeah. It's, it's just funny to me how in, in like the collegiate environment, like there's just not enough emphasis on learning stuff by ear. Like mm -hmm. it's just so, you know, Western European centric mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, like I don't, there was only a handful of times when I was in college, they were like, here, just learn this record by ear. I remember, <laughs> I forget which Herbie record it was. It was one of the really out ones, the really avant-garde ones. Mm -hmm. And our teacher, Alpha Alessi, incredible trumpet player had us he's like i don't want you guys to write it down just just learn it and at the time i was like this is bullshit like this is this is this is this is insanity because this is so out already yeah i wish i would have had a teacher who was like here play along to these bebop records that where harmony is like that you know yeah. completely rooted a lot of the language you know is codified and you know so from now you know when i learn tunes i always not always, but I try to just, I just put on my iPhone, iPod, and or I, my AirPods, AirPods, and go yeah, to the and just start listen before I pull out iRealB or a mm. chart. Like I just want to, that visualization or that that oral visual visualization is so much more. Uh, it lasts so much longer. Like yeah, since I, since I ditched charts. Mm -hmm. Um. And that was like, uh, honestly, one of the first gigs I did that for was uh, Marcus Miller's gig. Because I was like, I'm not showing up to a Marcus Miller gig reading. Mm. So I, once once I knew I was going out, I was like, a month before, I was like, I'm going to learn all these tunes. And by learning them by ear, it was like, not only did I have such a better understanding of them, but then mm. also on the bandstand, I was just so much more aware of what was going on. And more importantly, you don't forget it then. Yeah. Like, Maybe you have to do a brush up, but it's just amazing. Like if I had to go on stage with Marcus tomorrow, even though I haven't played with him for a few months, it's like, let's go. I know yeah. that. So any artist now that I'm playing for that's including myself, you know, if I'm going to do a gig, like I want to be, I don't want to be reading mm -hmm. ever if possible. Got you. Got you. This is a great segue. So how did you, how did this Marcus Miller gig um, come about? And, uh, and you know, what was that like, like the first time you got that call? Like, what's the, like, ex ex explain the, explain the situation. Yeah. Um, you know, Marcus is one of those, those gods who's loomed large in my mind ever since I was a kid. I remember mm -hmm. seeing like the Miles Davis documentary and seeing him talk about playing with Miles. And of course, you know, all the bass players when I was growing up were just, you know, it's just, Marcus is just, you know, it's just a legend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was playing in a band, and the the reason I got 
the call for that gig, I was playing in New York with a band called The Lesson GK. Mm-hmm. And Nick Semrad had moved to L.A. And I somehow ended up playing in that band a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, that's actually where I developed a lot of what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that I would attribute also to Nick himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely one of the reasons why I played synth. It was kind of like, it was ne- out of necessity, but then also it was like, oh, wow, this is amazing what this dude has developed. Um, so I was playing there, and uh, uh, the keyboardist who was playing with Marcus at the time, Brett Williams, also another insane beast on the instrument. He lives mm-hmm. in Australia now. Uh, but he had been doing the gig for five years, and uh, he was looking to, to drop out and be able to kind of focus on his own career. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had been coming to the, to our shows, and he recommended me. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, And, you know, that's just a case in point, man. It's like, in this industry, it's, it's who you know, not what you mm-hmm. know. Right. There are a lot of people who could play with Marcus. <laughs> you know, I just got lucky. Right. Um, and uh, so the first gig was in Japan. Played the Blue Note uh, for a couple weeks in Tokyo. Did you rehearse and audition before you got to Japan, or was it like, "Hey, here's the set, know it, we'll see you. Here's your here's your flight." Pretty much just show up. There was a rehearsal right before we played. You know, at soundcheck basically. Yeah. Um, and what was crazy is also like it wasn't there wasn't just a set. It was like here's thirty Marcus Miller tunes and uh, learn them and here like just to be ready to pull from yeah here you know and the 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 way we play them live is not the same on the record so if you're listening to the records you're really not uh you're not you're not getting a head start um so i was actually able to meet up with marcus independently at his studio in santa monica Mm. like a month before because it was during the holidays and so I actually did at least get to spend some time with him one-on-one, just like kind of going over some of the voicings. There's no charts for anything, though. You know, I mean, like all the... And, and Marcus, is, his voice leading is crazy with his compositions. Everything's very, you know, like there's a lot of improvisation, but it's also very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. And uh, But yeah, in terms of playing with the band, it was just like, show up to soundcheck, let's go. I, I, I have to admit, I, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life. Wow, on that, that was it. First, it was just like, like, you know, I was playing key bass, all mm. the all the colors, and I had, had it all orchestrated. But there was also something about just like saying, like, I'm about to play key bass under Marcus Miller right now for the, I'm, you know, like, yeah, like it's hard to to impart that that feeling, but it was felt so like I'd been playing. I I love playing key bass, but there was mm. something. About God. but uh we got through that first gig and mm-hmm. uh yeah and here we are going. yeah got you yeah because i'm uh what happened i just missed y'all when y'all were in atlanta because i definitely wanted oh. to definitely. yeah we were at oh, what's that? it's really close st james road. live yeah 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 that was, that was a fun one that was a fun another one. time um what's the worst thing that's happened to you on a gig Oof. Or the worst gig that you've had, but like preferably, like you know, when you're behind the keys, like what's the worst thing that's happened? But you know, Man. either way, you frame it. Worst thing, like something I did or something that happened to me. Either one, either one, 
a horror story about a gig that you were on. <laughs> um, man, uh, when I was living in New York, my mid twenties, I was playing some wedding gigs that some were pretty, pretty terrible. <laughs> uh, this, this one actually always jumps out, and that is um, I was playing with a killing band. We were out in Long Island, and uh, we were playing, and we were having a good time, and. You know, the guests were not, like, getting up and dancing, but, it, you know, whatever. They were kind of far away. Mm -hmm. And uh, then people started dancing, and it was cool. It was you know, a little lukewarm. And at the end of the night, like, we were playing one of the last songs, and this older lady just comes by, and she drops a nice little note off on my keyboard, even though I wasn't the leader of the band. Of like, course okay. not. That's exactly. They, they, they've got to find something, because that happened to me a couple of gigs ago, too. I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. Yeah. So, and I, I thought it was gonna be a, a love note or you know something really nice, and I opened it up and it was like, "You guys are so disrespectful! How dare you play this loud at my daughter's wedding?" Or and it just went on and on and on. And I was oh, like, it was a paragraph. Oh, it was, it was a full page, like saying how horrible we were. And so I was like, "Yo, band leader Alden, I got a love note for you." So I handed it. So it's not it didn't really affect me but i was just like i had never had an experience That's so wild, though. where some you know i mean i've been playing in you know little bars or restaurants where like they're like can you, can you keep it down you know yeah. just like that everybody's you know dealing with that but uh yeah that was that That's was something like, that takes effort you gotta like right i like she it. was over there like the whole time just i got something for them i got something i i want to know like what like like well why do people like in and this is not just weddings, but like you hire live music and then turn it down. I'm like, dog, like, do you want to see or not? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Um, top three, top three, top three keyboard players you know, and then like top three like national keyboard players. If you want to add five to not leave somebody out, you 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 go ahead. Top three, I know, and then top and then top three like national like names. Living, living or dead. Um, this can be living or dead. Okay. Uh, top three in my circle, uh, definitely Nick, just because he's Nick Samurai, because he's just changed my life so much with the idea of, of playing since. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many, man. Like, um, I love what Kiefer has done. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I just love the sound and more. He's somebody who's, you know, like, the aesthetic is so strong. Mm -hmm. The knowledge, you know, never sacrificing uh, emotion for uh, virtuosity. I just, mm, I okay. that, you know, I think as in, as I was saying earlier in a day where it's just like a day and age where chops are so valued and such, you know, like I mean, Keeper's got Keeper's got chops, but he's it it the it never overrides emotion. Yeah. Maybe I'd say Taylor Eichstee, just as a number. I mean, there's, as I said, it, it's hard to narrow it down to three. Mm -hmm. uh, also, just because uh, I've known Taylor for so long, and he's such an incredible player. Mm -hmm. uh, list goes on and on, and on obviously. Um, and three non-national living or living or keyboardists or pianists or what, what? If you can play the ivories ebony's and i if you want to do organ you want to do synth you want to do it it doesn't matter man obviously i think 
Herbie from mm-hmm. middle mid sixties to the mid seventies, you know, definitely. And uh, I was hanging. I actually got to hang out with Brad Meldow not too not too long ago. Oh wow, dope! I got to, I got to play some pads while he was soloing mm. with Marcus, uh, the Blue Note Cruz. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Brad's been such a huge, huge, huge influence on my, on me and the piano community at large. I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, to me, he's the equivalent of like, uh, he probably hate this, but like Michael Brecker on the saxophone, just in the sense that like an instrumentalist who came along kind of like after like kind of like the, the first wave of, you know, like Miles Coltrane, all that, the, the, yeah. the kind of wave, to change the instrument to a point where it's like the amount of people who can't get away from trying to sound like that it's just just ubiquitous yeah i'm still working on it honestly to uh to try and once again search within instead of with, mm-hmm. uh, outside um so yeah herbie brad and probably js bach right now I know oh, bach. Like okay but uh and, and uh, okay uh andras schiff is a classical pianist who i listen to playing bach all the time Got you. And uh, those, those are the. I think those are the the the, th- the things that really kind of, you know. Got you. Away. Cool. Got a couple more for you. This one, this question, it's been stumping a lot of people, but it's one of my favorite questions. If you can build a super group, that means whoever you want in your rhythm section, you can do horns if you want. Rhythm section plus a lead singer. This is unlimited availability, unlimited budget. But they they just have to be alive. Like like this actually could happen. It just is very unlikely. Like you can grab or or it could be likely. You can grab whoever you want to for whatever the band, lead uh, lead singer or vocalist or whatever. Um, it's gone off the rails. It used to be one of each. But like I had a guest. He did like he had Corey on organ. He had Herbie on keys. He had Greg Finley <laughs> Gaines on ox. Like he 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 did everything. So like you can kind of you can kind of do what you want. But yeah. what is what is your super group? The only thing is they just have to be alive for this. Yeah, I you know it's funny. I actually I feel like I know. Or a lot of those people are just like one call away. All right. And, well, if you know the people, that's cool too. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, but to me, it's almost like you know what what's what what's the gist of the project first? You know, because like it's a some... it's a show. It can be a house party. It's just a suit. Whatever whatever you want it to be. Well, what group do you want to see play together? You know, man, I feel pretty blessed in the sense that I I, I think I'm I'm already doing it. Um, uh, right now, I'd love uh, like Hadrian Fro on ba- bass. I mean, he's just so ridiculous. He's one of the best. Mm-hmm. I but I put him on bass. I just did on on this latest single. Can't think of another bass player right now who I'd love more to fill that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I'm right now. I'm just thinking about the the music I'm creating right now. Yeah, and also this doesn't have to be you playing either. Oh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Let me. My bad. What, this doesn't a, have to be you. A concert playing. for me to go to. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Yeah. This doesn't have to be you. Yeah. Man, they have to be living. Uh, and I would go see them play. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Carmel Gaskin on organ. Um, Sheree Reed on bass. Mm. Uh, Justin Brown on drums. Mm, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Isaiah Sharkey on guitar. Of course. Um, Billy Eilish on vocals. Hmm. That <laughs> now that was out there. That was out there. I okay. Um. Bad Snacks on violin and production. Okay. And um, I think that would be a the most random kind of. That's an interest. That's an interesting group. I promise you, Billie Eilish was nowhere near where I thought you would. That's an interesting group, yo. Yo. They're doing Billie Eilish songs, or like they're doing like whatever Billie, what, what, whatever. Yeah, weird. Like how? Because like that could go so weird. It could. It it it's got potential to go a lot of directions. Yeah. I dig it though. I dig I, it. Isaiah would be allowed to sing though. He would be allowed to sing. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> I, I I dig it. I dig it. Cool, man. All right. Last thing. What do you want to leave with the people? You've you've given a lot of words of motivation and gems and stuff. But what do you want to leave with the people? Leave with the people, man. I think we've we've. We've more than covered it. Um, I guess that, you know, that same thing I was talking about earlier about going within, mm -hmm. you know, being influenced from the outside, but at the end of the day, you know, prioritizing emotion over virtuosity uh, and following your heart in a non-trope way. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it's it's hard to say these big things without being corny, you know, because right, right. But sometimes it's, it's necessary. Yeah, and uh, never stop learning, never stop. Um, you know, it's I I think it's very easy, especially for musicians actually, who do make it all the way into the professional scene, to stop searching because there's like if you're touring all the time there's actually very little time to devote to searching because you're just you're just constantly on the stage playing what you know or you're dealing with your body and traveling and you get home you're exhausted so i feel like always finding that kernel of of something that's new whether it's old or it is indeed new um I think that's the most important thing for any musician to be on. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, that's cool. Um, socials for the people to follow you. Oh, yeah. Instagram, I am J3PO. Uh, my website is www.j3po.net. And my Spotify is uh, J3PO and also Julian Pollock. You know, it's funny. I was just having this conversation with some people and my wife, actually. It's amazing how connected it is in spotify but still it's amazing how like when you enter an artist's name 
like it doesn't populate with all of those projects. Like, for example, like um, if you type in Brad Meldow, you're going to only get certain trio records. But if you type in Brad Meldow trio. Oh, then it gives you. Yeah. And it's like all that stuff should be in the same place. Should be. Should you know, be. And, I, and especially, you know, if you're somebody who has like a lot of projects and you're, you know, you have a moniker or several aliases, it's like Spotify should somehow. They should figure that out. Yeah. Anyhow, so I, uh, and yeah, I, I, I hope uh, people go check out the music more. That's the most important part. I was actually, when I was talking to Zach Barnes yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, I was saying, uh, you know, it, it's funny with social media, the social media stuff, it all, you know, everyone wants to see people rip. They want to see what they're working on. Mm -hmm. But today, what do we all want? We want to be putting out our music and mm -hmm. we want to appreciate the music we put out. So I encourage everybody to, <laughs> who's checking me out, check out yeah. my music more so than my Instagram. And mm -hmm. for all the artists you check out on Instagram, make sure you're going to see their actual, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Go check out the pudding. Oh yeah, go check out the pudding. Yeah, that was my my next thing. I was like, check out Bloom, the new the new <laughs> single from J3PO. Um, you got an? Is there an album following following this? Yeah, so I got it's all it's it's basically done. Bloom actually is kind of the end of the last two album cycles. Um, although there may be a follow up called Sweet Treats in the mm. near future. Uh, which will be short little vignettes, more like a beat tape from all the things that maybe didn't get released. Okay. This new album that I'm working on is much more in the vein of Bloom, and even even the whole more so because the whole album is kind of the kind of uh, an exploration of the duality of playing piano trio, like I did when I was in my early twenties, and this kind of whole electronic synthesis meets post production world. Hmm. So that's the that'll be the kind of the gist of the new album and i'm really excited about that because that's those are two things that i've always been really trying to unite got you well y'all follow j3po y'all keep up with that bloom is out right now for sure like i don't know when this episode comes out but for sure uh -huh. bloom is out right now yeah. um uh that's been another episode of the major keys podcast with your host zach wilson guest j3po keep pressing on we'll see y'all next time hey.